This is Caught in the Act with Tim Clark. Hello again. Welcome back to Caught in the Act. Now, it's never a normal day at work when you sit in the same room as a killer. But as a court reporter, those days are much more common than would occur in most other professions. Observing a person, sometimes within touching distance, who you know has ended the life of another can be many things. Sobering, sad, scary, fascinating, horrifying and enlightening. Sometimes some or all of those in one day. Some killers are pathetic. Some are genuinely sorry. And then there are a few, rare but always memorable, that are truly evil. One of those is Luke David Forsett. He was the killer next door. His unsuspecting victims never stood a chance. Luke David Fawcett is alleged to have repeatedly stabbed his neighbour, 66-year-old Marie Collins, to death. To the outside world... The self-portrait this 20-something presented of himself was flattering. Young, urbane, university-educated, qualified as a psychologist. On social media, Fawcett told the world he was a UWA graduate, that he had worked for Telstra, that he was a mental health worker, a nice boy and a good next-door neighbour, which was indeed how Marie Collins found him. He would help her move furniture in her Victoria Park apartment. She would let him use her printer. She even drove him to the airport. So, she had no idea. No idea that as she passed him in the hall, waved to him in the car park, Fawcett was in the midst of a detailed plan to kill her. For no apparent reason. The epitome of cold-blooded murder. That murder took place in her Victoria Park apartment on Easter weekend 2021. Easter Saturday, in fact. And on Easter Sunday, Fawcett killed again. This time a man, Miss Collins' brother Wayne, who would come to check on his strangely silent sister. When her brother, Wayne Johnson, came to check on her the next day, he killed him as well, stabbing the siblings nearly 40 times. Two horrendous crimes, one horrific crime scene, and a killer who concocted an incredible story to try and explain why it wasn't him. With me this week to take us inside the court where Fawcett told that tale is Shannon Hampton, the journalist who covered this case for the West Australian and the Sunday Times. Thanks so much for sparing us some time, Shannon. No worries, Tim. So firstly, tell us your overriding memory about the case of the state of Western Australia versus Luke David Fawcett. Is it one of those cases, one of those crimes that sticks with you? It definitely is. Um, I'd covered courts for several years and this is one of the murder trials that definitely has stuck with me. Um, And that's for several reasons. One of them... I guess, is the level of premeditation and planning that went into this crime. It was planned for weeks. Um, Secondly, the fact that there was no real known motive for Mm -hmm. this crime. Just as the prosecutor put it, maybe he just wanted to know what it was like to kill somebody. Mm. And the fact that the victims were both 
innocent and by all accounts, just lovely people. Marie was killed just because she happened to be Fawcett's next door neighbour, whereas her brother was killed because of his love for his sister. Mm. And she, he went to check on her when um, he couldn't get hold of her on Easter Sunday. Mm. Um, And he just found himself in the, I guess, the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. So, yeah, and I guess there's several other other, um, aspects to this case, both tragic and bizarre. So... Yeah, there's, there's lots of different reasons why it definitely is one of the most memorable cases that I covered in my court reporting career. Mm. So the start of this case is the end of Marie Collins' life. And a warning, this case is very graphic, contains details which may disturb some listeners. But to reflect the case fairly and accurately, we are going to have to detail some of them. So please be aware that they are coming up soon. Marie Collins was a widow. One of six siblings, she was a committed Christian, worked in a clothing shop and loved her home. She had lived in her eighth floor apartment for almost four decades, having turned two units into one immaculate penthouse with sweeping city views. And it was there she returned on Easter Saturday 2021, having visited her sister in Claremont and then called her again when she got home. It was the last time anyone who loved her, would hear from her. Shannon, tell us what we know of what happened next. What we know is that the last time Marie Collins was heard from was at one o'clock on that Easter Saturday. And then at some point after that time, Fawcett had either been invited into or forced entry into Marie's apartment. And inside, she was stabbed several times. I believe she had 12 stab wounds um, and the way in which she was attacked was described by the judges, sustained, brutal and merciless. She had stab wounds all over her body, um, to her neck, her face, her arms and um, most notably her neck, which yeah would have, would have killed her almost instantly. Then we understand that Fawcett had a shower inside her apartment And he drank beers and smoothies as well. And um, we understand he stayed the night in that apartment with Marie Collins and he was still there the next morning when Marie's brother and sister started to get worried about her because, of course, it was Easter Sunday and they were a close, tight-knit family who spoke all the time and they hadn't heard from her. And Marie's sister had tried to call the house and, and the calls went unanswered. Um, and then it wasn't until what what really um, got her concerned was that she started getting these strange emails from an account that her sister hadn't used for years. The court heard Marie's sister was the one who made the grim discovery. She'd been calling and texting her on the weekend with no response until she started to receive strange texts back from her sister's email address saying, Hi Helen, apologies for not taking your call. I'm feeling quite unwell. I've lost my voice. Unfortunately, as I said, I'm quite unwell. So at that point, she decided to call her brother Wayne and and express her concern about her sister. And um, Wayne decided that he was going to go around there and check on her and just make sure she was okay. And it was then that he was, you know, he opened the door and we don't, we only know what force it says, but 
He was also set upon with the knife. Uh, we understand that um, while Marie was killed with the bread knife, Wayne was killed with a, a different knife, a hunting knife. And he was stabbed again in a frenzied attack. He suffered 25 stab wounds, including six centimetre stab wound to his back. Um, and he too was obviously, he was unable to survive his injuries. And then Fawcett was seen acting erratically in the car park. He called his grandma. He at one point asked to borrow a shovel and then called her back and said, oh, sorry, don't worry about it. But then he was taken to the hospital. He went to Royal Perth Hospital because he, he must have been injured in this in this scuffle with, with Wayne. And um, he claimed that he had fallen down the stairs while uh, carrying a steak knife, and that's how he explained his injuries. And in the meantime, while, while Fawcett is getting treatment at Royal Perth, he police have obviously been called to the scene and it's right away there's two there's two bodies in the in the apartment and they they realize obviously it's a homicide investigation but they were uh, an interesting aspect is that they had zeroed in on Fawcett very early in the investigation and it just came down to some old-fashioned police work I guess they looked through the window of his car and they found a Bunnings receipt that was quite recent and it had he had been buying duct tape tarpaulins and rope which has obviously sparked their their interest and and yeah they zeroed into him quite quite early on in the investigation and then when they did look in his car they saw three other notes one was titled interrogation and it had underneath it listed pummeling pepper spray to the eyes to the point of blindness the other note was titled high risk and it labelled the suburbs Peppermint Grove, Cloverdale, Baldivis, Guildford and Fremantle and it was alleged that these were considered by Fawcett as high-risk suburbs to, I guess, dispose of a body. Mm. Yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, a suspect very early on in the investigation. Mm. A significant person of interest, I think, the detectives <laughs> might have described him as. Yeah. And, of course, in all of these types of cases, the aftermath, the crime scenes are always documented in forensic detail and then laid out for a jury. The details in this case were particularly disturbing. As Shannon just mentioned, two bodies, both wrapped in tarpaulins, left discarded on the floor of a formerly pristine apartment. The injuries to both bodies were numerous. Scalp, forehead, face, neck and arms of Mrs. Collins, eyelid, eyebrow, chest, abdomen, hand and thigh of Mr. Johnson. And amid the chaos, there is Fawcett, drinking beer. Shannon, descriptions like these are always a jolt, even when you hear them as often as, as we do as, as court and police reporters. To a jury, they can be uh, very confronting. What, what were your impressions of how the jury reacted when they heard what had happened and then were actually shown what had happened in uh, Mrs. Collins's apartment? I think like all of us in the courtroom, including Marie and Wayne's family, mm. um, was just, they were horrified. And because Fawcett had denied having anything to do with this crime, the prosecution had to go through all of the evidence step by step, which meant down to the blood spatters on the walls and the floor. Um, and like you said, Marie's apartment 
previously pristine. Her her sister described it as like something um, out of a home living magazine. It was it was like her pride and joy, um, and it was covered in blood and covered in um, beer bottles. Mm. And so we we obviously had to see this in court. And yeah, it wasn't a nice thing. Yeah, and I. I even as long as I've been doing it, I, all, I still get a feeling sometimes of being a slight voyeur in those situations that you're you're seeing the inside of of a, a, a horrific crime scene um, for for a reason. You're seeing it for a reason. It's not particularly prurient, but it's it's still um, horrible to see. You're seeing it with the bloke that's apparently done it not far away from you. And more often than not, sometimes or many times, actually, with the victims' families seeing it as as you are seeing it, probably and possibly for the first time as well. I, I never get used to it. Oh, I, I don't know that what, what makes me. Do you have you? Do you find you've gotten used to that um, that jolt to the senses that all those those competing emotions can can bring? While, while you're also trying to write notes and, and file a story in your head and on your computer? I mean, it is after you... I, I guess you do get desensitised to it a little bit when you're doing it day in and day out, but I guess you have to sort of remove yourself from it a little bit um, as a professional. Um, but what does... Yeah, always... What, what is always um, something that I do take home is the victim's reactions, and sometimes they are quite emotional in court um you know I've seen people have like they can't stand looking at some of this evidence and they have to rush out in tears mm. and and things like that and it's at, in those moments that actually do yeah they do stick with you and mm. um it is it is hard to deal with sometimes mm. now what happened over that weekend in that apartment would seem callous enough but after Fawcett would charge with both murders and denied them both his trial was told what had happened before and after those killings. And those acts almost defy description. What it showed was that the murder of Mrs. Collins was not just a crime of impulse. It had been on Fawcett's mind for weeks. Murder to-do lists and a partially dug grave with his belongings beside it, all key pieces of evidence prosecutors used to pin Fawcett to the crime. In March 2021, having lost his job and his girlfriend, Fawcett turned his mind to his kindly neighbour and he went shopping online. On March 14, a shock flashlight stun gun was shipped from Wish.com. Another package labelled Sheriff Officer Heavy Duty Level Handcuffs arrived in early April along with an electric shock self-defence outdoor flashlight. There were notes in his car with apparent shopping lists and to-do lists, including quiet shoes, sneakers, oversized beanie, pepper spray, drums, metal and plastic, latex gloves and a knife. And after a shopping trip to buy a shovel at Bunnings, Fawcett had another thing to do. Dig a hole. Shannon, this to me is one of the most disturbing facets of this case. And not only were, again, we given a description of the hole, we or you in court 
actually saw it? We actually saw a police recording um, of the officers walking through the forest and it, and I remember it just being another one of those really chilling moments in the trial because it was dead silent and then you just saw the video camera sort of circling around this bushy forest area and then you just come across this human-sized grave and you just sort of, yeah, it was just so bizarre and so chilling that he had actually driven 200 kilometres south of Perth and dug this hole in preparation preparation to bury somebody in there. Hmm. Um, So another interesting, I guess, part of the evidence was that um, cameras actually saw his car driving south towards the location, but when police arrested Fawcett, they went through his phone, as as detectives do, and they found a screenshot of a map with the coordinates of the grave on it. That's how police came across it. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a very um, yeah. I, I can't think of another word other than chilling to describe it. One point nine meters long, sixty centimeters wide. 30 centimetres deep and police subsequent testing found the ground was actually so compact at that point that it was very hard to go any further down. But when police did dig themselves into the background of Fawcett, they found even more evidence. They found a video made a few days before Fawcett had actually gone to dig that hole, which was equally chilling. The court heard this was a planned and premeditated attack, one Luke Fawcett rehearsed in a disturbing video played to the trial. Fawcett denied the allegation and said it was actually an audition tape for a role play scene. Shannon, in the in the, the court, this footage became known as the black suit video. Why was that? It was called the black suit video because Fawcett had been wearing a black suit with a black mask over his face when he took the footage. Um, Originally, I believe um, it was alleged he was wearing a latex suit, but I think he disputed that, so it ended up being the black suit video. Um, And let me just say it was one of the (laughs) most... um, What's the word? Bizarre? was one of the most bizarre and just weird things I've ever seen in a courtroom and it just put shivers down your spine. So basically this video was found on Fawcett's phone and it was beamed up into the courtroom for the jury and the family and everyone in there to see. And what he does is he is wearing a black suit and then you see him putting on a mask over his face and then he sort of sits in this dark room in a chair and then he has this gruff, scary voice and he threatens, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And then he has a knife and a taser in each hand and then he threatens again, if it's the hard way, you'll be severely hurt. 
And if you keep pushing me, eventually I will kill you. And he's staring right down the barrel of the camera. And then he threatens again. Now, you're going to give me your bank details for each of your cards or it's going to get painful. And then, so it's a dark room. And then all of a sudden, this huge, loud noise of the taser goes off. And you can just see the whole screen fill up with the, the light of the taser. And then he sort of puts down his puts down his weapons and then he yeah takes off his mask and he looks at the camera a bit so you can see his face and then he just turns it off. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was it was very weird. And the intimation being, of course, that this was him preparing to surprise someone, shock someone, and obviously accost someone, and then threaten someone to for whatever purpose that he he might have had in mind well yeah that was the allegation that this was a rehearsal video for the killing Mm. um in the end the judge found that there you know she couldn't find beyond a reasonable doubt that that was that he was preparing to kill um ms collins but yeah it that was the allegation by the prosecutors that that he was rehearsing to kill her Mm. And you can imagine the impression that that footage would have left on the jury. Now, this was, of course, all leading up to the killings. After they'd been committed, Fawcett didn't stop there. With Miss Collins still lying on the floor of her own apartment, Fawcett had a shower, cracked a beer, and then began sending flirty messages to a woman he knew. So, I kind of bought a penthouse apartment he said in one. Remember, this is just hours after he has stabbed Marie Collins to death. Very nice city view, read another. Anyway, I'll stop bragging. Callous is the word that springs to my mind, Shannon. And that wasn't the only thing Fawcett did in those hours between murdering Marie and then killing her brother. He also got onto Marie's computer. So somebody had tried to access Marie's bank account details on her computer inside her apartment after she was killed. Um, And we believe, well, the judge found that that was Fawcett. Mm. Um, And I guess that was one of the motivations that the prosecution put forward, that perhaps he wanted to steal her money. Mm. and there were several other things that went on in the hours after the, these brutal murders as well. Again, um, Fawcett's phone was a plethora of uh, damning evidence against him. Um, another piece of evidence that police pulled from it, um, as well as text messages to this love interest about how he had now um, you know, bought, somehow acquired a penthouse apartment, um, was videos that he had actually taken from inside the apartment which showed the sweeping um, city views that um, you could see from there. And police obviously compared that video to the actual view that you got from her apartment and it matched up completely. Mm. Now, it was more family members of Marie Collins and Wayne Johnson who found their bodies later on that Easter Sunday. And with eyewitnesses having seen Fawcett acting strangely outside the apartment earlier the same day, he was quickly located in hospital, but not before he'd sent more messages to his female friend. With a picture, with a selfie of himself 
and a sling, he described himself as the sexiest patient ever. And he said to his love interest, I wish you were here to kiss my boo-boo better. The only visitors he got, however, were the WA police, who arrested him, interviewed him, and then charged him with double murder. He denied both crimes. He claimed someone else must have killed Miss Collins, and he also claimed that he had then killed Mr Johnson in self-defence after he had found Fawcett in the flat and assumed him to be the killer. Shannon Fawcett gave evidence in his own defence in this trial, which is quite unusual in itself. Uh, The explanations he gave to the court were more than just unusual, though. Yeah. Uh, The prosecution actually summed it up as as being comically implausible, his his testimony. Mm. And having sat probably two (laughs) metres away from him and watching the whole thing, I agree with that. Um, What actually struck me was the fact that this story that he did come up with, which was quite something, um, he told it with a straight face and as if it was the most believable thing in the world. Mm. Um, so just to name, he, he, had a, he had an answer for everything and some of these answers were um, he had ordered the tarpaulins and rope and, du- and duct tape or he had bought them, sorry, from... Um, from Bunnings because he his lease was about to expire at the Victoria Park apartment. He had broken up with his girlfriend. He didn't have the money to pay his rent anymore, so he thought, I might just go and live off the grid in the bush. So that was the explanation for those items. Asked about why he had dug a hole, um, which was, of course, alleged to be a grave and found that way, um, was because he wanted to, when he was out there living um, in the bush, he wanted to grow cannabis for his own use and that was what was going to go on the whole. Um, he also, when he was asked, why didn't you just buy a tent? He said that he didn't know how to set up a tent so that's why he was just going to set up a, uh, you know, a makeshift uh, shelter with these tarps and rope. Um And then, again, he was asked, why did you buy tasers online or a taser online? And he said that he wanted to um, be sure that he was able to defend himself against bush animals, um, including kangaroos. And that actually drew some um, sniggering from the courtroom (laughs) because it was just that unbelievable that it was just laughable. And he downloaded books on his phone um, about how to deal with the affairs of a missing person and about homicide investigations. And when he was asked about that, he said that um, he wanted to know how long a person had to be in daily contact with their family before they were declared dead because he didn't want his family left with his debts. And then um, when he was asked to explain the black suit video, he claimed that he had seen an advertisement on Craigslist for a couple who wanted to um, a third party to be involved in their home invasion role-playing sex fantasy and that um, he had auditioned for that but he didn't get the part because he was too small and not intimidating enough. If it wasn't so serious, it would be funny. And it's and it's 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 quite something that you say that some of that actually did elicit some laughter in, in, in court, given the seriousness of the crimes. 
But what it also says to me is that rather than reflect on what he's done and have any scintilla of remorse, he's basically sat in his cell on remand awaiting his trial, trying to construct a tale that would fit with all the ridiculous and obviously damning evidence that has been presented to him by the prosecution through disclosure. Um, and that's what he's come up with, which, as I said at the start, some, some killers are pathetic, and that is quite a pathetic attempt to justify what he'd done. Exactly. There was not one skerrick of remorse um, written on his face or in any part of that um, testimony that he gave. And you're exactly right. And I think the prosecution sort of mentioned that in their in their submissions that he he had constructed this this tale to um, explain all of this damning evidence and to come up with this story that would you know he trying to dig himself out of the situation, but it it almost did um, did him worse. So the trial of Luke Fawcett lasted ten days. And it took a jury just 30 minutes to find him guilty of double murder. Prosecutor Justin Wally summed up the crimes as displaying a degree of callousness and cold-blooded indifference of the highest order. The fact that he had a shower and generally made himself at home whilst the dead body of his victim lay on the floor of the apartment demonstrates a level of depravity that defies adequate description. Judge Jennifer Smith described the crimes as sustained, brutal, and merciless. As she was bound to do, she jailed Fawcett for life. The minimum term she imposed was 34 years in prison, one of the highest ever minimums handed down in Western Australia. Shannon, you were there when Ms Collins' sister, Helen Bettina, spoke outside court after that hearing. We've been living our worst nightmare for 22 months and it will continue forevermore. What impressions were you left of him having seen him in court? My impressions of him is that he was an evil, callous murderer who had absolutely no remorse for what he'd done. Um, He'd ripped away two loved family members from the Collins family and basically... Yeah, just didn't really care. That's how, that's my impression. Which is quite something when you consider what he did and why we don't even know he did it. And one postscript to the case of Luke David Fawcett. Last week, the State Administrative Tribunal cancelled his licence to practice as a psychologist in Western Australia with a ban of 40 years before he can apply for that license back, which prompted me to ask myself, what do you have to do to get a permanent ban from the Psychologists Board of Western Australia? Thank you, Shannon, for joining us at Court in the Act. You can find us on thewest.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email them to courtintheact at wanews.com.au. And remember... If you want to know what's happening in court, don't get caught short. See you next time.